0: Proctor here with some conference announcements before we get into this week's episode. First, PolyConf 2016 will be taking place from the 30th of June through the 2nd of July. Visit polyconf.com to keep updated with news as more details become available and to sign up for newsletter updates. Curion is taking place July 18th and 19th in Rome. Curion is a rare event where academic minds responsible for concepts and tools now invaluable to everyday software development like functional programming or generics in Java Collide with the movers and shakers in the industry that are building next-generation systems and developing software engineering practices central to our entire industry. Visit curry-on.org to find out more and register, and your ticket is good for all of the European Conference for Object-Oriented Programming as well. Full Stack Fest will be held in Barcelona on September 5th through the 9th. It will be comprised of two main blocks with a gap day in between. The call for papers is open with 16 speaker slots. Talks are 40 minutes long, including Q&A. You have until May 14th to submit a talk, and Full Stack Fest is issuing a call to action to attract potential speakers to join them on stage and inspire technology peers. No excuses. Accommodation and traveling expenses are on them. You can check out 2016.fullstackfest.com slash call dash four dash papers to find out more and to submit your paper too. And if you know of any other conferences around functional programming, email contact at com, and I will be happy to announce them. Lastly, if you're enjoying Functional Geekery, please help spread the word. If you would leave a rating and/or review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory, or even share your favorite episodes on social media, I need your help to spread the word about functional Geekery. And if there are any guests or topics that you want to hear from or about, please reach out and email contact at functionalgeekery.com, and I'll put them on my notes for future episode ideas. Thank you for listening and for all your support. Welcome to Functional Geekery. I'm host Proctor. And this week with us, we have Bridget Hillier. Bridget, would you mind telling everyone a little bit about yourself?
1: Hi, I am a software developer, a closure programmer. People generally know who I am from work I've done in the past with Clojure Bridge, and um, I'm an organizer at Strange Loop.
0: So I knew you from the Clojure community when I was looking around and trying to learn Clojure some to understand what lessons could be learned there. So what actually brought you into Clojure, and was that the first functional language that you had exposed to? What was the story of your exposure there like?
1: So I've been a software developer for a long time, and I've worked in a lot of technologies, but I was largely a Java developer for years. And somewhere around the end of the last decade, I was getting a little little bored, wanting to stretch my skills. You know, I, I wanted to be a better programmer. And so I started kind of looking around for directions I could head to try to you know, really take myself up another level instead of just, you know, reading another book or learning one more technology, you know, really kind of try to push things along. And so I started looking, I went on my My functional programming Lisp vision quests that (laughs) so, so many people I know have been on where I start, you know, I started looking at Scala, Erlang, common Lisp, and a few other things. Read some books, did some little sample projects to play, and I also looked at Clojure. So around that time in 2010, I moved to the Triangle area of North Carolina. And relevance was here, which is where a lot of the closure work was coming out of Stu Holloway and a number of other people are there, which is now Cognitect, which is where Ritchie is as well. And they were having, you know, like the functional programming meetup at their office. So I just started going and and meeting people and I thought, well, I like closure because it's on the JVM. It pushed me enough to have to learn kind of different paradigm, but I was still could fall back into things that I was somewhat familiar with. Plus all the Java libraries were there uh, for me. So I could be productive with it immediately. So just started, uh, you know, playing around with it, but, but got pretty dedicated to closure uh, around 2010, 2011, went to the first closure conge because it was, it was here and local and it was cheap and then tried for years <laughs> to get it into work projects. So I'm, I'm a contractor and I generally do, I do about half software development and half. Professional services, um, you know, where a software company sells a product and you go in to do yeah, like enterprise integration with it for their customers. So I kept that, you know, I was, I was generally had Java around. So I thought, you know, there's got to be some way that I could pull it in. I just, for one reason or another, all along the way, I was never, never able to do it actually at work. So I was only doing it in my spare time. And then a couple of years ago, I finally did get a job. So I was able to become a professional working closure programmer.
0: So you said you dug around, did some common lists, some Scala, some Erlang, and then you kind of found Clojure around that same time. Mm-hmm. So what were, you, what did you find the differences and what was your first exposure and then what made Clojure stick? Was it just the JVM or was there something about the list? So could you kind of dig in a little deeper into that evolution of the first time you actually looked at something that was functional, especially coming from a Java world, yeah. That's the world you're familiar with and trying to strain and stretch your brain to not have mutability, not have some of these things that you get out of the box. And you're potentially you can do in Java, but it doesn't lead you down the path of encouraging it necessarily in the larger groups.
1: So I think it was Lisp really more than anything. Um, I had I'd seen Lisp in college. I hear this from a lot of people um, and, you know, generally like in your programming languages class lisp will be one of the things that you do so I had some familiarity with it and I I remember when it was like my undergraduate programming language class when we did lisp I totally remember exactly what I thought at the time which was that this is too simple (laughs) like this there's got to be like a trick (laughs) that you just say the thing that you want to (laughs) do so I just like I I in a way I got it totally, but in a way I didn't get it at all. <laughs> and finally, you know, years later, um, coming back to Common Lisp and then Clojure, I, I, I finally got it and really learned to appreciate how how expressive Lisp's are. And, you know, I did a little, you know, sick pee study and it just felt comfortable. It was stretching me in a way that I felt it, like it was a useful stretch, I guess, where then I was able to write much more expressive programs. And then was able to fit problems into my head in a better way than I was ever able, ever able to do with the pair of languages. And it's interesting because I kind of went down a functional programming path, but, but really what I ended up at was, was Lisp. And then, you know, the other features of closure that I find interesting, like um, immutability. Immutability be, to me has been uh, the biggest win as far as, you know, what I actually use day to day. So, yep.
0: And then you said you weren't actually doing it in your job. So when you took that in, you were having to do these projects, but you couldn't actually fit Clojure in. Mm -hmm. Were you taking a lot of these ideas from Clojure and trying to push the concept of value objects and some of these other lessons learned that you've taken and you kind of started to grok and respect and I guess whatever kind of clicked in it from Clojure that made you love it and then apply those patterns where they fit in Java and then try and at least promote things like immutability to the rest of the team that you're doing when you're coming in as a contractor and saying, look, if this thing's a money, let's not actually have it, the money be modified or we've got these strings, which are inherently immutable. What if we treated other objects like that?
1: Yes. So it, interestingly, you said value objects because all of a sudden I started using value objects where I had never before. So that, that was one of the kind of the most obvious things that, that I did differently. But I, If I could go back and look at like the source code from before I went through this and then like the first big project I did after, the big difference, I think, is that all of a sudden I was way more cognizant of state. So as I was writing a Java program, for example, I can't think of specifically what I was doing, but it was more just that I was aware. And then the way that I designed the program changed a bit in how state was managed and how I was aware of it through the program. So, and I wish I had been able to do a better job of, of getting closure in some of those places. I just, yeah, for one word, one reason or other, it
0: just, it just never worked. And part of what's interesting about being able to just take those lessons back, even if you can't apply that language is that it shows that these ideas do cross boundaries for the people who haven't actually been able to make the language, make the jump into programming in whatever language they've been playing with on the side in the same way that you were able to take those lessons learned into Java from Closure, until mm-hmm. you could actually get your Closure job and actually, I'm assuming make your work in Java feel more sane to you at least.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I, you know, I'd, what I'd really like to do, I this is on my agenda. I absolutely want to do this. I want to do a Java project with Java eight. You know, now that I've been a Closure programmer, you know, after after I've worked on some big systems Closure, um, I I would like to see what I would do now, because I think now would be, I think things would be a lot different, especially with Java eight, but I haven't done it yet. So I don't know. I'd I'd be curious if anybody has that experience. I'd love to chat.
0: (laughs) I don't know about Java eight, but I know you mentioned your relationship in the area to Cognitech, but I, in the third episode, I believe I had Craig Andera, and he was talking about learning common lisp. And then when things like link and stuff got integrated into. .NET, he's like, Mm -hmm hey, I know this and I can take advantage of this and it gives a completely different style because I'm now able to take advantage of these features that I've gotten. So yep. it doesn't sound like that's something that's unique in the fact that I think there's a lot of others who have been able to find and say, wow, this really does change the way I'd even write other code if I had to go back and have the job back in Java or back in C Sharp or back in whatever language it is. Yep. <laughs> sure. So you were doing a bunch of stuff on the side before you actually got your job. What was that looking like? What kind of stuff were you doing? Was it just side projects trying to figure stuff out? Were you building stuff up as far as libraries that you were wanting to use? Or what did that look like as you're learning closure and going to the user user groups and mm-hmm. doing this all on the side? What approach were you making to actually learn it and build yourself into a community and Grow your knowledge to the point where you could actually find the job at that point.
1: So I did a lot of little learning projects along the way where, you know, there'd be something new I'd want to learn, like core async. Um, And then I would go do a small project that would incorporate that technology. And it was all on the side my spare time, so I didn't really do anything particularly interesting. I did all the foreclosure problems, which is when people say they're learning closure and they want to know what to do. I, I think we I personally think working through foreclosure problems is a really good way to do it. You can, you can learn some bad habits because they're just little toy problems. But I feel like it really gets you used to the idiom really well in a way that gets you ready for bigger projects where you're, you know, you're gonna have to learn other things. But I think it gets you familiar with it, a uh, familiarity with the idiom that's really helpful. It's really fun to do foreclosure and then to go back and look at your earlier problems that you solved where you've clearly not gotten it. And, and you can do this with just about everybody who hasn't gone back and changed their answers. And it's, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And I, I really like keeping kind of my history there so I can see, go and see like, ah, uh, okay. I did not get it then. Then I did get it <laughs> back uh, over here. What else? So I think if somebody else were to go on the path of trying to learn closure, um, I think there are a lot of, really great open source projects out there that you can contribute to that give you a chance to learn there's, and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of, and and I personally find the uh, Clojure community to be very friendly. So there's a lot of opportunities out there to do things where people are really happy to help you. There's the Clojure Slack, the red community it helps people out. Uh, you know, anybody can go in there, ask questions. I go and ask questions uh, that I think is really useful. We, we use uh, Clojure IRC, uh, and Freenode used to be really active. I'm not I'm not sure if it is anymore. I think most things moved to Clojurians. But another thing that I did was a few years ago when I was really starting to get invested in closure. And was I was at the point where it was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna make a move where I'm gonna get closure projects or I'm gonna get a closure job. I kind of had a I had a moment. <laughs> I was at a point in my career where starting to kind of look around and kind of take stock. <laughs> I was at a point where you know it was advanced enough in my career where like I could consider mentoring people or you know kind of bringing people along, and I'd just been really busy working. <laughs> uh, I was a contractor and I was usually you know generally fully utilized and didn't have time for things besides just you know getting work done and family obligations. So, so I had this moment <laughs> where I thought, you know, I, I want I want to make sure that the the community that I'm a part of. Is one that I'm proud of, that I want to be a part of, and that I would invite other people into. And the main sticking point for me at that point was that there were almost no women around. There were some women, like, that I would see the closure conferences, and there were some some women who were employed as closure programmers, but very few. And all of a sudden, something that I had noticed and had been an issue for me throughout my career finally became something really pressing. And I had some time to do something about it. So I had heard that Sean Corfield, who's very active in Clojure, had talked to Sarah Allen, who was one of the founders of RailsBridge and now Bridge Foundry, which is the parent organization for RailsBridge. They had talked about maybe starting closure Bridge, closure version of RailsBridge. So for those who may not know, RailsBridge is offers weekend workshops to teach people Rails and Ruby and has now spun off the same thing in other languages that are technologies. So we thought maybe we could do the closure version of that. I'd heard that there'd been some talk about it. So I got together so, with some people that I knew who I thought would be interested to try to make an effort towards making the closure community more inclusive. And one of the reasons that I did it was because I had such a positive, good experience in the closure community. I'd met so many great people who were so eager to share what they'd learned. I had was going to great meetups. The conferences were good, and just a real nice group of friendly people who wanted it to be, you know, who made it a a, a forward value to make the community friendly. I mean, that was definitely something that I picked up on really strongly. So I felt like this was a good place to do this that this is a community that would want to make serious efforts to be more inclusive. And also I felt that at the time it was early enough in the language community to be able to make a difference. I feel like if you go far enough along um, and there's just no people of color around, there's no women around, that it becomes way harder to then try to open up your community. But if you start early enough on, hopefully from the beginning then it's not something that you would try to fight to add on later. So I got together with some people, and we threw together a curriculum and um, did the first workshop in um, in Durham, North Carolina, um, with a lot of support from Cognitech. And it was great. And since then, um, I- I'm not involved with it anymore at all. There are a number of people working real hard on it. Uh, Yoko Harada, KF, Anna Pavliska, David Chambers, Burrow, uh, Bhaskar Mukherjee. And other people who are forgetting, then there's people putting on workshops across the world, and they're great. And so I feel like we made a first, a good first effort to try to make the community more inclusive. And at the very least, established that this was something that we really cared about as a community. So
0: So for those who aren't familiar, what does a bridge look like? So you mentioned that it started out as Rails bridge and then moved up to Bridge Foundry, which is the parent organization that essentially coordinates and helps manage if someone wants to get a new bridge up and running, be it a rust bridge or closure bridge or go bridge or whatever variations are out there so what does that look like, and how do you actually approach doing that so people actually have a concept of a, what it is if they hear someone's doing it in their community or maybe decide to do it themselves to help build the community in their area. So can you give an overview of what a bridge actually means and maybe some of the lessons you learned coming through and setting it up for the first time or two?
1: Sure thing. So Rails Bridge offers a two-day workshop. It's really a one-day workshop, but you do an install fest the day before where it teaches Rails to people who are new to Rails could be people who are beginners programming altogether or people coming from other technologies and are just new to Rails. And they offer workshops. Most of them heretofore have been workshops for women. But the idea is that they would be for any group underrepresented in tech. And you go, you install all of the the software, and then the next day you run through a curriculum that just, it doesn't necessarily teach you it it gives you a really good first exposure. So at that, and that was definitely what we were looking for for closure was we wanted a friendly, open, inclusive atmosphere for getting exposed to a new technology. So if you are in an underrepresented group in tech and you walk into a meetup and it's say you're a woman and it's all men, it's kind of a, Weird atmosphere. It feels uncomfortable. And when you feel uncomfortable, it's a little more difficult to learn. Um, not necessarily all the time, but that's often an experience people have. And, and I think that's an experience a lot of the women who come to the workshops have had in the past. And then they come to this workshop where it's all women students. And it's just, it's a completely different atmosphere because. Just the dynamic changes at that point, and so the the goals of the the curriculum and the workshop are to kind of to foster that type of inclusive, friendly atmosphere where that people may not have experienced elsewhere. Lessons that we've learned. Oh my! <laughs> well. We worked really hard on the first workshop and some the people who put together the curriculum just did an amazing job uh throwing down, you know, like they, we kind of looked at what Railsbridge did, but, you know, we were kind of starting from scratch. We had kind of a different, coming from a different angle and, you know, we made some mistakes. Uh, so we learned that, you know, the curriculum needed to be, we need to make it approachable and consumable in a day. We had to decide whether we wanted to focus on people beginning to pro- beginners to programming or, you know, people who were programmers, but were new to closure. You know, we had to direct our energy to, you know, to address certain audience. And there's been a, a lot of work done on the curriculum since then. A lot of it by Yoko Harada has just doing, done a, an amazing job. And she actually put on a... um a workshop in Durham again. So I, I was able to go back and be a TA and oh my god, the, it's it's really they've really great improvements. I'm trying to think of what other lessons trying to figure out how to make a, a curriculum that made sense, I think, was one of the biggest things that that I was exposed to.
0: Did you take the view of trying to take people at other programming experience and teach them closure? Or was it more of we are going to try and just expose people who might be interested in programming and use closure as that first step. Because I could see where that would actually make a huge world of difference in what it means to just start something, right?
1: Yeah, so we, the, what we picked, and this was almost arbitrary, <laughs> is we decided to, to, for the initial focus, to pick beginners to programming. Arguably, we should have picked um, experienced programmers instead. But anyway, that's what we picked, and we went that way. And now there's work being done to try to make them like a more like intermediate curriculum oh and and other people have there, there are actually multiple curricula out there there's a really active minneapolis branch closure bridge that, that has put on a number of workshops and they've they have developed their own curriculum and uh have more um, advanced curricula but anyway when working on the beginner one, what was really interesting is a lot of people talk about having a difficult time learning closure, like kind of making the paradigm shift from um, other, uh, you know, from imperative languages or object oriented languages. And what we discovered in doing a beginner focused curriculum is that for people who are new to programming, it's like practically obvious. Like it's really easy to teach them closure and it's really easy to teach them functional programming principles. It's the people who have backgrounds in other um, uh, paradigms. That it's more difficult for them to make the switch than it is to teach somebody. Um, and that's the experience I've had in the workshops that I've been involved in and in working on the curriculum. Um, but um, I, I've, I've heard the same thing from other people too.
0: And so starting out with new people and new people to programming, I think the one big question with that is how do you find those people or how do you let those people know that there is an opportunity from them, especially if you're in the user group of, your town, and you want to close your bridge, but everybody who comes in is all a male or whatever, and you're looking for that diversity, do you have any suggestions for how you actually go and expose that to people? Say, hey, you haven't even programmed. You might be interested, but how do you actually take that and publicize that event and make it relevant and known that this is a place for you to come out and target that audience if that's not necessarily the audience you deal with every day, either as a just because you're a programmer and you don't know the business people or the sales people who might actually be interested outside of any other kind of scoping down to what you might be doing.
1: That's a great question, and, and and it comes up with almost everybody who's doing a workshop for the first time. So there's a huge, huge demand for these kinds of workshops, and people will tell you like the like the San Francisco Bay Area Railsbridge people like they they just sell out every workshop that they have. So there is a huge backlog of people who are looking for introductory free workshops to technology programming. I work with, um I don't really do anything with Closure Bridge anymore, but we've got a very active girl development chapter here in the Raleigh-Durham area, a really great one. And I do a lot of work with them and just the classes fill up. I put on Code and Coffee social events and we have tons of people. So there are a lot of people, there are a lot of women, a lot of people of color, a lot of people from... You know, traditionally underrepresented groups in computing who want this stuff. So, so the audience is there. So then the question becomes, so how do you connect with them? So what I've recommended to people who are putting on workshops for the first time is to partner with somebody who is plugged into those communities, like, for example, I was just painting somebody who's involved with your local girl development or somebody who's involved with the local women who code who's interested. And usually there's somebody who's come by your meetup or something who, who might be interested in helping plugging you in. And so then, and that is of all the workshops I've been witness to or been involved in, that's what we've done. So the organizers um, would go give, you know, a lightning talk at women who code or um, would spread. That spread the word on in newsletters and what have you in, in those groups, and then boom, you you sell out. Like I, I don't. There have been a besides a couple, almost all the workshops just immediately fill up. Um, there's just there's a, a lot of demand. I'm trying to think of any other tips, you know, just outreach, finding existing groups that already reach the groups who you're trying to reach out to, and connecting with them, and and also when you do that, something to keep in mind. This is one of those things I've learned over the years working with and this type of thing. Um, make sure that you offer something, you know, you're offering a workshop, but you also, you know, if you're trying to connect with groups, offer to volunteer or make a donation or something to, because when you're, when you're asking people to do outreach for you, you're asking them to do work for you. So make sure that you give something back to them also.
0: And those all sound like great tips and some of the stuff that I, I might've thought, but yeah, things like girl develop it. And, women who code and some of these other things that I've heard of girl develop it. And I've heard of some of the other groups like black girls code and some of the others, but knowing those groups in my area, I might only know a couple of them just from tangentially, but it sounds like because they've got that community, all you're doing is just tapping into that community and saying here, here's another thing you can learn after you've done whatever training or not that has been there.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, and if, what I really want to see is people doing workshops targeting specifically specifically people of color or women of color. I would really like to see that happening. And there's a lot of groups in, in just in the exact same way I was saying for groups for, for women in technology. There's a lot of established national groups that you can connect, you can plug into to try to do the same type of outreach, like the the National Society for Black Engineers. There's another one I can't think of the name of. I will I will let you know afterwards. And Black Girls Code, uh, which is for kids, but also has a lot of volunteers and what have you, that you know, organizers who you can connect with to reach an adult audience. And a couple others I'm just blanking on,
0: but I will get to you for the show notes. And you mentioned the curriculum as well. And my understanding is that a lot of the bridge curriculum is actually open source. And you can go find if someone wants to start a bridge themselves, if it's a closure bridge, They can get the closure bridge existing curriculum or figure out if it's a different kind of bridge, maybe a Haskell bridge or a Scala bridge or an Elixir bridge or whatever it is that might not already be established. The curriculum is already out there across the other languages that people can use as examples and starting points of something that works, right?
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. It is all out there open source and open for contributions. Also, (laughs) I hear people say things like, Oh, well, we don't have it in this language. Well, totally open for people to start working on translating. So, yep.
0: And so just on this similar vein of topic, you were also part of the strange loop conference committee. So you've done a lot of the stuff with community and you did the closure bridge and now you're involved in the strange loop committees about building that community and making sure that the community feels vibrant and growing and accepting of people. So what was that, first hint of getting into strange loop and being involved in the process Were you tagged? did you go ask to volunteer? Did you manage to hit a couple of strange loops and then start complaining and something else? <laughs> and they said, fine, you want to fix it here? Hop on, <laughs> hop on the committee and fix it. Or so what, what did that look like for strange loop? Cause I've heard fantastic things about the conference, but I, and I haven't, Good. but I haven't actually managed to go. So what did that look like?
1: Oh, you should go. It's it's a great conference. So, well, I went to Strangely, I think in 2010, and there were very few women there. Which, like, I you know, I've been in technology for a long time, and I go to a lot of technology events. There's not often very many women, but it was strangely very few women. But it was a, it was a great conference. I had such a great time. I loved it. It was such an interesting mix of topics, and the speakers were great. And there were some really fantastic women speakers that year. So it made me feel like. There was an opportunity there that the organizers got it, but just you know maybe needed some assistance in trying to uh, make things feel more inclusive, especially amongst attendees. So, because of the work that I did with Closure Bridge, Alex Miller, who runs Strange Loop and is the closure community person or the closure manager—I don't know what his title is there. He, he helps the closure language happen. He had helped me. Alex Miller had helped me with Closure Bridge or helped us Closure Bridge at the beginning and. I came, I, I guess, also because some of the work I've, that I'd I've done with Closure Bridge, I had gotten in touch with some people who were very aware that there was a problem with inclusiveness in tech in general, and, and you know, specifically in communities that I was part of, like Closure, and they wanted to do something. <laughs> they wanted to do something, and they wanted to give somebody some money to do something, but none of them had time to actually figure out what that was. And at the time, there was also a lot of talk about inclusiveness around around technical conferences. So it just seemed like a simple win to sponsor people to go to technical conferences. The goal would be to have more people from underrepresented groups and traditionally underrepresented groups in tech in conferences. So then you'd have more people getting together, you'd, you'd be communicating a value that inclusiveness is something that we want. And then you'd also be giving all these people opportunities who, for whatever reason, aren't, weren't able to go to conferences themselves. And then making the conference more inclusive, then people want to come. Then all these groups that seem to be excluded somehow, people would end up showing up to your conference because they feel like it was a comfortable place for them. So I had this idea and other people did too. What if we just created a scholarship program basically paid for people to go, who where the people who, for whatever reason, they're in groups that are more mar- marginalized, that don't have as many opportunities for some reason or another that don't get as many financial award rewards doing this work, just take that what's blocking them from going to a conference, just take that problem away, fund them <laughs> like boom, that's pro- it just seemed like an easy problem to solve. like there's a lot more difficult problems. That we need to solve, but this was an easy one that we could just apply money to. <laughs> so, thought about this general, like a general program. Ruby Central was already doing it, so the RailsConf Re- and RubyConf were already doing this. So, I was just watching their example. PyCon had a financial aid program, also at this point, but not a whole lot of other conferences did. talk to some people who had done this kind of work. Ash Dryden, in, in particular. It bounced off a couple of the people I was involved with the closure bridge who had Karina Zona who does call, call back women. And then I realized, well, instead of making a general program, how about I go specifically do it at one conference? <laughs> so then I went, so I, I knew, since I knew Alex from uh, the closure bridge, uh, I asked Alex Miller if we could do it at Strange Loop, and he was all for it. And, and I think at that point he had already been thinking about something along that line and, you know, just didn't have the capacity to have made it happen yet because he was busy organizing a conference. So it's like, okay, great, I'll do this for you. And we just kind of ran it as an experiment the first year. So this a couple years ago. And it worked really well. I think we we didn't fix things, but we moved the needle in a significant way as far as making Strange Loop more inclusive. One thing that we did as part of that when I came on as, as an organizer is we hired Ash Dryden, who does a lot of work in this area. And she's, I would, yeah, it, it, as far as I know, is the foremost expert in making an inclusive conference. So we hired her and she basically designed the entire program and, and a number of other things that we did all at once in the same year. And Alex was just fully, be, Alex and the other organizers of Strangely were all fully behind making them happen. And it, I feel like we really made a big difference we have plenty of problems. We've a lot of things we still need to fix, but really, really made some big progress that first year.
0: So what are some of those things that might turn someone off that you do unknowingly and make it seem unwelcoming? I know there's things about being the, whether it's the smug Lisp Winnie or the smug Haskell (laughs) Winnie or the smug whatever language Winnie, where part of that is you're excited. Part of it is you think you've found a better way and you want to share it with people, but you're taking the wrong approach and it seems like you're trying to bludge them over the head instead of trying to lead them along. What are some of those things that you found that caused the closure bridge and caused the things that we should probably all be cognizant of and making sure that by doing some of this stuff, we're not making it seem like we're a snobby community who only wants the top 0001% and if you don't fit in this class, then you don't deserve to even be included? Whether or not that's the intention, but that's how it appears to someone who's looking at joining a community if we actually want the functional programming community to really grow.
1: Um, that's a really good question. And I like the way that you asked it. Like I, th- I think you said a number of things in there that are really, you know, there's a lot of insight. I think you have a lot of insight into what some of the issues are, and I think we, in particular, are able to shoot ourselves in the foot with, particularly in in the closure community and other functional programming language communities. So let me just start off with that. I I don't know. I, you know, I don't. I'm not an expert. If there's a person who has the problems (laughs) that we have as a community, if there's a person who exemplifies it and is just really does all those things really well, it's me. Like I'm, I I fit right in. (laughs) If there's a person who has behaviors, that's pushing people away. I'm, I'm it. So.
0: Well, and I ask you because you mentioned that you had heard people actually come up and talk to you and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. you're in closure bridge, but. Like, hey, is this really this welcoming? Because I, you've actually heard those objections versus mm-hmm. some of us who haven't even heard them and yes. we don't even know. So okay, okay not, okay, not that we're necessarily all perfect, but you've probably heard some more objections because, as you said, with your involvement in building community at more of a grassroots level, people have actually said, "Well, I've, it sounds interesting, but I found like it's not really that welcoming." And you're like, "Why?" And so, what are some of those things that you've heard that? you know, first from people reporting firsthand then.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So yes. So I have heard, I've experienced it. So I know it from experiencing it and I know from people telling me about their experiences, but I just, I just want to be really clear that I'm, I'm no uh, <laughs> human behavior expert. <laughs> I'm, you know, like I don't, I can't tell anybody what the answer is or how to fix it, but fair question. I think it's exactly the question we need to be asking and and it's it's a matter of doing some real introspection each of us into how we're pushing people away and then how we get together as a community and do that so the lisp weeny thing i think is a really good um i i think you c- that definitely describes a real phenomenon and i know that the people who first got together and worked on closure the language were really interested in not Carrying that forward, so and and I think it's come across like I I think we have as closure itself has made a lot of progress. So what is that? It's uh it, and like you said, it's you know I think it comes a lot out of a, a real love for the ideas people get really excited about and then want to share it with other people. But how that can end up coming across, and I do it too, is that it's like you're telling people that they're not that smart. <laughs> you know, like you're kind of talking down to people. Like, oh, look at these big, great ideas. And I really need to share these big, great ideas with you because they're such great ideas that you need to know them. You know, that dynamic, I think, comes off in a kind of weird way. I think there's just a lot of geeks in, in this, including me, who just, we've been interacting with computers all our lives and just maybe need to shape up our social skills a little bit. So the things that people come to me and tell me that they have problems with are people talking down to them. I think a lot of the times the instances of that, are, the people who are doing it don't have no idea that they're doing that at all. So again, back to the introspection thing, like what, what's actually going down there? I don't know, but it's definitely something we need to think about. <laughs> there's kind of a, uh, you know, there's this kind of true believer. We all have this special knowledge together dynamic, which can feel a little exclusive. I think in some ways, Those of us who have, have sought out and joined these communities, like I didn't learn closure from a job. I, I, that was all in my own time. It was, you know, personal development. You know, it was like, it was something I did out of the love of it in my spare time. I think when we get together and create these communities around these specialty niche languages and emerging technologies, we might end up creating clubs of people we feel comfortable with. (laughs) And this is all, I'm just, I'm just speculating here. This is just like on my own personal journey of kind of looking inward. Like, how did I end up in a community of mostly men? What choices did I make to do that? Like, how did I get there? You know, I think we end up creating dynamics. We kind of recreate some, you know, like greater social dynamics. But we also, if it's you know me and my my boys club of people who are all interested in this thing, well, then that that just immediately creates kind of a an exclusive dynamic again i'm like i'm it's all just me kind of talking out of like what's been going on in my head own head so i don't like it's i don't have like a theory <laughs> but i just i think there's something there i think there's something about the way that we organize things that end up it ends up being kind of a like <laughs> a special people's club um and and it kind of pushes people away and and you know and i wonder about myself why i why i do that why why i'm interested in hanging out with people who do that so Anyway, I, I hope that's that's useful or helpful at
0: all. <laughs> it is. And I think part of that question is I've kind of had that same question that you just said, but from the opposite side of how did I get into just the special club of all men as well? Being a male in software development is, as I get in here, Like, what did I do to actually get into a group that is all male? Especially when years ago, it was equally balanced amongst men and women. and at some point growing up through this process, it has evolved and it is that transition as I get more into it has gone the other way than when I started and mm-hmm. I come in and it starts declining at that time. So
1: yeah. What did you do? <laughs> was it something you did?
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's part of it, which is some of those questions that I ask. Cause I know that I've but points where it's like, well, we yeah, got a Java job. Well, you mean it's a Java job and like, would there be any scholar or closure? No. Mm-hmm. Mm, well, do I really want to go back to Java? Not really. Kind yeah. Of. That, I, I, that whole kind of attitude is like, well.
1: Totally.
0: That's not positive because it's like, oh, then I, now I look down on everybody who is doing Java because they love it or even just doing Java because they're doing Java and they don't care. And then you become, it's like, well, you know, if you're going to look down at Java like that, why should I look up to Clojure or Scala or whatever it is kind of thing?
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think that's totally part of it, totally part of it for sure. Yeah, and and there's definitely like, there's societal things that are going on that we don't necessarily have control over. But I think there's a lot of things that we do have control over. And at the very least, we can control the culture of our communities and of our workplaces. Those things we can make a change and then can hopefully make something that's more welcoming that people, if they start coming in, will want to stay. I mean, a lot of, you know, just in general, like inclusiveness in technology, and tech software. Workplaces, one of the big things that I'm very, very aware of now is that is that we're pushing people away, so people do come <laughs> there are senior women out there, there're senior people of color who are brilliant and have contributions, and then the workplaces end up being hostile to them, and they leave and I'm like I see this happening all the time and and I think that's there's all parts of of this issue, but we're not going to be able to fix them unless we fix that one because if people come in and they get pushed away, then <laughs> like all, all of the work to put on a closure bridge or whatever else, or run a girl, girl de- development class, all of the work for that's for not, because if they get into a job and they get treated poorly, then that's no good. And also we want to have healthy workplaces for ourselves, which I think we have not managed to do in this industry. So,
0: and all that is very, very important. And but there is even the counterpart for those who don't think it's important. That is, if you want to be working in closure, how do you make closure grow? Well, you need a larger community of people. So you're going to have jobs out there that will say, hey, there is a closure community or there is the Haskell community and we have plenty of people who are interested in this. So you have to essentially grow the community first. Exactly. Even if you don't think you're being a person that might be closing off the community you have to make sure you're making it open if you actually want to have that job there mm-hmm. so we've we've gotten deep on a lot of this stuff and we're getting close to time but i definitely want to make sure we talk about what you're working on now which is onyx so do you want to give everybody a rundown of the stuff you're actually working on and doing in your day job sure. and making real use of actual developing closure instead of just the community building
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm a closure programmer and i am gone back to contracting. So I'm getting some closure contract work of just great. So I do that about half time. And then about half time, I help with Onyx. And so Onyx is a framework for building distributed streaming and batch jobs from pure data structures in a composable and reusable way. It's a distributed computation platform. And it was built by Michael Jorgalis and Lucas Bradstreet. And they have formed a, a company and are doing production support and are, are doing work with it. With uh, Gardner Vickers also is on the team. The thing that I like about it, one, is they've just done a really nice job. It is a a nice piece of software. They've made it really well documented, really great learning materials in there. It's a, you know, it's a distributed platforms, a di- distributed computing platform. So that can be a little bit hard to get your arms around all of the pieces that are involved, but they've built tooling around it that. They have been really thoughtful about making tooling around it that make, make it approachable. But also the other thing that I really like about it is just the interface to it, that how you work with it. If you are a closure programmer, it's written in closure and you work with it in closure. It's closure data structures, which is how you describe your problem that you want solved. So you make workflows and it's all just, you know, it's maps. It's vectors of maps, just data. You're just, that's the abstraction you're dealing with. And then the things that you're doing with the data is just closure functions. So it's just, it's really nice to work with. So I was drawn to it just because I enjoy the technology so much. And hopefully I'll be able to do some work with it. So I'm doing that about half time. Also, I I had never, except for Closure Bridge, which is open source, I had really never been able to do open source work. I, like, I just have never had time. All of my work is proprietary. And so... When you go to get work nowadays, you need you need and a GitHub full of projects that you can show to people. You know, I just didn't have it because I just have never had the time to do that. So this is this is kind of my chance to do catch up, to do some contribution to it, and then to, to get back. This is this is my chance to get back because I've consumed open source for all of my career. So,
0: so either description of Onyx, you gave a big old mouthful of what it is at the beginning, and you mentioned it was a distributed platform for computation, but what is it? Where does it fit in? And what kind of problems are, would people be interested in having to go pick it up? Because there's a number of different things that run from things like Hadoop and Spark to stream processing to a bunch of these other things. So where would Onyx fit in in that picture and the kind of stuff that it's trying to solve?
1: So it can do a lot of things, but I think the obvious fit is stream processing. So problems that we do, you, you would use, Storm, Apache Storm or Flink, for at this point would be good fits for onyx why you you would choose onyx is because of this really nice um, interface to it where you you know you build up your workflows of what you want it to do all enclosure data structures it has really nice abstractions and it works really well and it's maybe easy is not the right word but it's pretty straightforward to then distribute things be able to scale to deal with the big data large stream data People are using it for, um, you know, they're using it for machine learning applications. They're using it for general workflow, you know, things that you would have need a workflow for type problems, analytics, definitely people doing a lot of analytics with it.
0: And you're in working on the open source side or a little bit of the support side as well. So where does this fit in for the kind of stuff that you're tackling? Are you focusing on a specific area or what are you being able to take advantage of? and how is Clojure making that experience for you from the, your background experience of Clojure and now applying it to a distributed systems processing, stream processing piece of software that lives out there?
1: Well, it's just such a great fit being a Clojure programmer because the way that you express your problems and the way you can build them up is just, Clojure is just a really nice fit for it. It's it's very comfortable to work with. Build your workflows It's a really nice, pleasant experience uh, where you're able to use the tooling and knowledge from Clojure. I'm working on the open source side, just helping with things that need to be done for it. One of the things that I was helping with was doing a proof of concept for other language support, which we will probably pick up and keep on working on. There's been some other things being worked on for the newer release. One thing is they're swapping out the streaming engine in it. So that's coming next.
0: So what else is going on with you? You mentioned you're doing your contracting half the time. You're doing this Onyx. What else is going on at this point with you and what are some of the other things that you're involved with, if any? Or are you just heads down at work contracting and then any of your rest of your time is now dedicated to Onyx? Or are you still working on some stuff elsewhere on the side that we haven't actually talked about and covered?
1: So, Well, right now we're in um, the CFP period for Strange Loop. So it's doing a decent amount of Strange Loop organizing activities right now. So the CFP for Strange Loop is open. It's open until May 9th been seeing some interesting talk proposals coming through and it's going to be a a great one again this year It's, it's such an interesting mix of different talks and people doing all kinds of really interesting things a lot of people you know kind of pushing the envelope using you know emerging technologies and interesting ideas you know i really like to just be at strange loop Just for the people, honestly, it's just great conversations that you have with them. Um, So please, you should be one of those people, too. So you should submit to the proposal uh, to the CFP. Closes May 9th. Working on the Opportunity Grants. So the Opportunity Grant application period is open right now. And uh, we are currently reviewing applications. And that closes on May 16th. And we'll get the word out on May 20th for Opportunity Grants. We're also still looking for Opportunity Grant sponsors. So... We can give as you know as many opportunity grants as, as we get sponsorship for travel funds. Um so uh, and we will, you know, accept opportunity grant sponsors up through the conference. Registration will be in early June. The date is not out yet, but it'll be early early June for registration. So you should come. So it sold out really fast last year, so keep an eye on, on the dates.
0: And when is Strange Loop this year?
1: Good question. It's September fifteenth through seventeenth in Saint Louis, Missouri, as usual.
0: And for those who haven't been to Strange Loop or haven't even really submitted a conference proposal, what is the kind of topic that it's new and emerging technologies and some of that stuff, but how does that fit? Like if someone had an idea for a talk at Strange Loop, what would be a classification at a broad level of what makes a good talk for Strange Loop and might be attractive that says, if you're doing this kind of stuff, this is the conference for you versus any of these other conferences around
1: that's a hard question to answer for strange loop because i have found now having been involved in the proposal process for a couple of years now is that it's almost as if the like the themes and topics of interest emerge <laughs> you know it's there's been a lot of functional programming stuff for the last couple of years anything interesting you know it's something where it's this is a kind of a different application of ideas, or this is reusing an old idea in a new way. Um, we've seen a lot, a lot more art influenced things over the last couple of years. So you know, it's people doing interesting, novel stuff. So it's hard to really get your arms around that exactly because it's a lot of things. <laughs> uh, it's it's an idea we haven't heard yet. You know, like. Karen Mars talk about chemical computing. That's I think that's a great example. Like I would have had no idea. I had had I would have had no idea that, that that was something that would be an interesting talk until I heard the idea. I think it's a conference where if you have some out there idea of something like ah, I don't know if this is the conference to put your proposal in and try it out. You know, it may or may not may you know. There's a lot of. Uh, the the talks that we reject in Strange Loop are amazing. Like if you took just, you know, like the next tier of talks from the ones that get accepted, you would have another great conference. We get so many great proposals. So it's probably a little bit harder conference to get a proposal accepted, but you never know because it's just, you know, whatever catches the, the review committee's eyes.
0: And that's one of the things that I've heard about Strange Loop is that it's kind of the out there weird, crazy ideas to some extent. But I know there's a number of people who feel like, well, I'm not actually doing anything weird or crazy. I'm just doing my job, even though it may actually be weird or crazy, just because you're in it every day means you don't necessarily see how crazy it could be.
1: Yeah, that's I think is a really good point. And also, there's a lot of very traditional topics in there, too. I mean, because I would say most of the audience is strangely, you know, working software developers. So, you know, if it's something of interest, something you're working on, that a lot of people might be interested in, you know, that's those are great topics, too.
0: So is there anything we haven't covered? We went through all this, you brought up strange loop, and we talked a little bit about that at the end. But what have we left out that we haven't actually covered or that we made need to make sure we at least make mention to?
1: So one thing I want to want to mention that's related to the topics that we've discussed is one thing that we did at Strange Loop last year is that we had a version of Ally Skills Workshop that uh, there was a group the Ada Initiative that put on Ally Skills Workshops, which are you know if you're like "Uh, there's something off about the culture of my workplace or you know why have we not hired any women that kind of thing and you're trying to deal with those kind of issues this is a workshop for you to try to help you work on that the Ada Initiative unfortunately has folded but. Valerie Aurora, who uh, was one of the people who ran the AID initiative, is now doing that work in private practice. She, she has a consulting organization that does it. And I, if you're like, oh, what can we do? I don't, you know, like I don't know how to work on these problems, but I really want to fix things. That's one answer that's out there that you can just go. You can hire her. <laughs> that's uh, I like. It's hard. This is a hard, pro- hard set of problems to work on. How do we make things more inclusive? How do we make better workplaces? But I don't have all the answers, but that is one answer that's out there. So um, Valerie Aurora, Framshift Consulting, is the name of uh, her uh, consulting practice.
0: I'll make sure to get the links to her and that workshop in the show notes from the Strange Loop site as well. So people can find out more and check that in the show notes. Great. Thanks. So do you have any other upcoming appearances at any other conferences or anything you're talking about? It sounds like you're definitely going to be at Strange Loop unless something likely catastrophic happens to you, but where else can people come and find you in the relatively near future, or at least through the end of the year, since we're coming up on almost halfway through the year? Not quite, but do you have any other conferences or stuff that you're going to be at or attending, even if you're not going to be promoting, and anything else in general that you want to plug and make sure people know about and just check out as well?
1: I think that's about it. I will be at Strange Loop, and that's, that's all my plans for this year. It's otherwise busier for me. If you're interested in Clojure bridge, take a look at uh, closurebridge.org, and definitely check out Onyx. You can go to onyxplatform.org.
0: And that's it for me. And then we talked about a bunch of stuff, but do you have any other call to actions for people listening that you want them to take away and act on? Uh, no, I think I've had plenty of calls to action in there.
1: <laughs> uh, take, take a few minutes and think about how to make your language community, uh, your workplace more inclusive. Spend a few minutes uh, doing some introspection about what you personally can do to uh, make that happen. And I will too.
0: And then where can people find you and follow you online if they want to follow, find out more and follow what's going on with you, both technically and non-technically?
1: Check out my GitHub. I'm I'm Bridget Clear on GitHub. All the things I've been working on are there. I left Twitter (laughs) some time ago, so you will
0: not find me there. We'll make sure to get the links to your GitHub profile in the show notes as well. I'd like to give a giant thank you to David Belcher for the logo. And once again, thank you very much, Bridget, for taking your time and joining me today. It was very enlightening and great to talk with you because I've been following you online for a while and just nice to be able to talk to you and see more in depth what's been going on and some of the lessons we can learn both technically and non-technically in the soft skills. So thank you for talking with me today and it was a pleasure talking with you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Until next time, this has been Functional Geekery.